Would you pray with me? Father, would the confession we just sang be true of our hearts, that we would desire your presence with us because we know our condition and we know that you know our condition. And so we confess that we need you. So would you work in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit to to hear and to understand and to be changed by the power of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, Good morning. You can grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're really excited to start a new series this summer in the book of Hebrews. If you need a Bible, you can slip your hand up and Someone from our strike team will put one in your hands. Um, We're excited for this series. And um, as you're turning there, I want to outline kind of my two goals for this morning. One, I hope to outline the series as a whole. So that if you join us uh, all summer long, we'd love to have you with us all summer long. That as you're here with us and as we're working through Hebrews chapter 11, that you'll have kind of a, a picture of the overall framework for the book of Hebrews and how chapter 11 kind of fits into that and how we're going to be looking at it. So that's the first goal today. And the second one is to define some terms, hopefully to help us, primarily answering the question, what is faith? As we open our time. Now, before we dive into these first few verses, I'd like to give you a little bit of background on the book of Hebrews so that we understand its context. Um, we, we don't actually know, if you look at the, the, the beginning of the book in your the, yeah, the beginning of the book in your Bible, we don't actually know the exact author. It's not named. It's technically an anonymous epistle or an anonymous letter. Some scholars think that perhaps it's Paul or maybe it's the sermons of Paul that someone wrote down. Uh, Some scholars think that maybe it's one of his um, partners in ministry like Barnabas or maybe Silas, Uh, maybe even someone like Apollos who's named in the New Testament as a co-laborer. But the reality is we we don't know. The, The letter is technically anonymous. But we do know as we read in Hebrews chapter 2, that the writer of the book of Hebrews had a close personal relationship with the apostles. And so we have confidence that the teaching we find in Hebrews is consistent with the witness and the testimony of the apostles, the ones who walked side by side with Jesus. Second, in terms of audience, it's titled the letter to the Hebrews, but there's no geographical markers or no names. It doesn't say at the beginning, like, to the church in Rome or to the church in Ephesus. But it's clear from the writing that the author knows the audience well, and he assumes the audience has a more than working understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. That in fact, There's the assumption that the audience, the readers of Hebrews, very, very well know the Old Testament, particularly the Torah, the first five books of the law, and that they hold on to the reality that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises and prophecies, that Jesus is the Messiah. So it's likely that this audience originally is is ethnically Jewish believers in Jesus, And further, we know from reading Hebrews that 
the audience is under immense persecution specifically for their belief in Jesus, specifically for their faith. So knowing these context pieces, the the framework, as it were, helps us understand this, this big idea for the whole letter of Hebrews is that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of God in the Old Testament, that Jesus is the final and best expression of the love and mercy of God. If you'd like a little uh, background on the, on the book of Hebrews, there's about an eight, eight and a half minute video on thebibleproject.org, which is really good. I encourage you to, to go look at that if you'd like that. They've put together a, a nice little kind of synopsis that eight minutes better than what I just told you, but it's really good. Um, Jesus is the final and best expression of the love and mercy of God. That's the big idea for Hebrews. Therefore, in light of who he is, Hebrews then calls God's people to run the race and persevere in the faith. See, Hebrews builds out its case like this. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is better. He's the fulfillment. Um, And it kind of lays it out in four big chunks. Um, One, Jesus is greater, greater than the angels who were the messengers of God's word. So if we listen to God's word delivered through them, how much more should we listen to Jesus, the word incarnate, the word made flesh? Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses, Hebrews says, the one who led God's people out of slavery, although he was imperfect. All the more should we follow Jesus, who is the righteous and perfect rescuer. Jesus is our great high priest, He doesn't come from the line of imperfect priests and he doesn't offer an imperfect sacrifice that has to be done over and over again. No, Hebrews tell us that he is actually from the line of Melchizedek. We don't have time to get into that right now, but it's different than just this line of human priests and that Jesus himself, as our high priest, intercedes for us. He prays for God's people. And then fourthly, Hebrews says that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. So not only does like an imperfect priest have to offer imperfect sacrifices that have to be offered over and over again, Jesus himself is a perfect sacrifice and has done away with all the lesser ones by his own sacrifice, his own blood, the spotless lamb. And so Hebrews is kind of building out this case that Jesus is more and better and the fulfillment of all that God has promised. So then we get to the end of chapter 10 and we see a call for endurance. Remember, they're being persecuted specifically because they're holding on to Jesus. They're being imprisoned and beaten because of their faith in Jesus. And here in 10, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of trial, God's word is through the Hebrews or through Hebrews is telling them, persevere. Hold on, endure. And then to build his case. So I've told you all this stuff about who Jesus is, Hebrews says. So I want you to endure. And now look at this example after example after example that we get to in Hebrews 11 of God's people trusting God, believing in him, that God will fulfill all that he's promised, even if you can't see it yet in full. He will, and here's the proof of it, and then tell story after story of 
people believing, men and women believing that God would be faithful all the way till the end. And so that's what we'll do in Hebrews chapter 11, is week after week, with different voices, unpack one picture, looking at, here's how Abel offered a better sacrifice by faith. And let's look at that. Let's, how, what does it mean that Noah acted in faith, or Abraham, or Rahab, reading back into those stories of all those who believed in what they could not see with their physical eyes, who lived and acted by faith. So our text today is just the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 11. Um, it'll be on the screen as well. I encourage you to read along just verses 1 through 3. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is God's holy and perfect word. May it instruct us in how we can live by faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, because this word shows up in my Bible 26 times in this chapter, we're asking the question and we have to answer, what is faith? Now, if I were to ask you to create a definition for the word faith, what would you say? Where is it used in your vernacular, your context, your vocabulary? How do you define it? I think we tend to kind of define it in one of two ways, culturally speaking. One way we talk about faith is just as a synonym, another word for the word hope, right? I have faith in something is I, I hope that it'll happen. I'm a baseball fan. That's my answer to your favorite outdoor activity, baseball. I like watching it. I like playing it. Not as fast as I used to be, so I kind of moved on to softball, and then I kind of retired from softball. I like coaching it. I, I, baseball's great. I love baseball. Some of you are like, baseball's boring. Fine. Go play your other sports. I like baseball, right? So do I have faith that the Twins will make the playoffs? Well, at this point, I kind of do because, like, if you look at the odds, it's like 97 point some odd percent that they'll make the playoffs. Cool. Great. Like, I hope they do. Do I have faith that they'll make some moves to improve their bullpen or starting pitching? Well, I hope they do. Am I certain? Well, if I'm honest, no, I'm not certain at all. See, we use the word faith like we use the word hope, and we kind of use them interchangeably. We have faith that will be rewarded if we meet our goals at work. We have faith that will qualify for the mortgage because we've been really good with our money. We have faith that will uh, do well on the test because we studied really, really hard. That's one way, right? It's, it's an optimistic but ultimately unsure hope. That's one way we use that word faith. Another way is similar, but it kind of directs it towards people or things, like an encouragement. It's, it's, I have faith in you, right? You can do it. This is the equivalent to most of the folks who try out for shows like American Idol, right? Where the whole first part of that show, first number of episodes, are people who are just failing miserably in their auditions. And in this like sick, twisted sense of humor, they actually put them through to the judges where they get told like, I'm sorry, you're terrible. 
And then people leave crying because their mom's been telling them since they were little that they're the best singer ever. Right? No objective measurement. Just someone telling you, you can do it. I have faith in you. Follow your dreams. Right off a cliff. Right? Like, there may not be an objective measurement that proves you can do it, but hey, that really doesn't matter. As long as I have faith in you or you have faith in your, yourself. The problem is both of these realities kind of put faith into a category of unknown, right? It's hopeful but unsure. Some might call blind faith. And often we let these sorts of understandings and definitions and interpretations interpret the words that we read in the scriptures rather than the other way around, letting the scriptures define our terms. Thankfully, for our sake, Hebrews actually answers the question for us and gives us uh, answers, actually two of them, in verse 1. Faith, it says, is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith, according to Hebrews chapter 1, is assurance and conviction. Now, the ESV, which is the translation we use here at River City, uh, translates that word uh, conviction, but I actually prefer the word in English used by the King James or the New King James. It translates that word as evidence. The Greek word underneath has a connotation of proof. And I kind of like that. Truth, uh, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So Hebrews 11 starts right off at the beginning saying, faith is not just blind hope. It is actual assurance. It's something tangible. See, we often talk of faith as being this like ethereal and amorphous blob. We can't touch it or taste it or feel it or get our hands around it. It just kind of exists. Thing, nothing concrete, just kind of out there. You just got to believe it. But that's not how the scriptures speak of faith, and that's not how Hebrews 11 speaks of faith. Faith isn't blind and unreasoned. Faith is tangible. Perhaps just not tangible in the way we're used to. Uh, There's a a theologian and pastor, F.F. Bruce, who makes this comparison. He says, physical eyesight produces a conviction or, or evidence of visible things. I can see that my Bible is here because I can see it, right? Evidence of visible things. Faith, he says, is the organ which enables people to see the invisible order. Faith is like eyeballs that see spiritual things just as your physical eyes see physical things. See, I can look at the statistics. I can look at the remaining schedule. I can look at the payroll and the possible trades and the history of my favorite baseball team and make an educated guess that maybe the Twins will make the playoffs or acquire some pitching or something. Using my eyes to determine my level of faith that they'll make those changes. But what Bruce is saying and what Hebrews is saying is that faith is the organ, the spiritual eyes that enable you and I to look at all that God has done in history and to look at what the promises are for me and you now in Christ Jesus and say, this actually, if I believe this to the a point where it affects the way I will now live my life today and tomorrow and the day after that. God will be faithful to do all these promised. 
Faith isn't blind or unreasoned. It doesn't contradict reason, but it goes beyond a bit our merely human understanding and reasoning of the physical world. It's describing a spiritual reality. If you're sure of something, if you're truly sure of something, and you have evidence on your side, proof, you proceed with confidence, right? If you're sure of something and you have the evidence to back it up, your response, your entrance into the conversation is going to be confident. So our working definition of faith through Hebrews chapter 11, um, write this one down, take it with you. We're going to use this as we work through the series is this. Faith is confidence that God will do all that he's promised to do. It's confidence. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that confidence looks like. God speaks promises through his word and we live as if we are sure that God will be faithful to bring them to pass. Faith is confidence that God will do all that he's promised to do. So the writer of Hebrews starts telling stories. If you were to look down and look through, you know, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and on, he starts telling stories. Now, why does he do this? Well, up until now, the focus of the letter of Hebrews has been about Jesus, and now the writer of Hebrews is kind of turning the corner and telling these stories of men and women throughout history. Here's what they believed. Here's what they practiced. Here was their life. What's the goal of that? I think the goal is to continue to encourage believers in Jesus to persevere, to endure. The writer is saying, I've unpacked all these things about who Jesus is, and now I want to show you how all these other people have believed that thing that I'm telling you, and here's how it played out for them. And how do I know that this is what, I, what Hebrews is trying to address, that it's trying to address endurance? Look down at Hebrews chapter 10. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 and 36. Right before we get to chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. In the midst of trial and persecution, don't throw away what you know, which has great reward. For, this is the because, you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. It's like the writer of Hebrews just tells them what they need. You have need of endurance. I like it when it's that clear. Like, what does he mean? Well, he just tells me. You need to endure. God's people are in need of endurance. They're in need of endurance here for persecution. We, too, are in need of endurance to carry on and, and walk this road that God has laid before us so that you will persevere through trial all the way to the end of whatever God has for you in his glorious and mysterious plan. And so there's this mountain of examples, one after another, of those who lived by faith, confident in what their eyes could not see, but they were sure of that God was going to do all that he had promised. Look at verse 2, 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 2. For by it, speaking of by faith, the people of old received their commendation, which means their faith was affirmed and acknowledged 
And if you look all the way at the end of chapter 11, verse 39, it says, And all these, referring back to these stories that we're going to get to all summer long, though commended through their faith, there's that commendation word again, they did not receive what was promised. See, they, they persevered. They endured by faith, believing God would be faithful, but they never received the full promise themselves. For example, Abraham looked forward when God promised him that God would bless him, that through him he would be the father of many nations. Abraham looked down the corridor of time and as he walked through his life, God fulfilled that promise in giving Isaac a son when he was very old. But that was only a partial fulfillment. It wasn't until Jesus, much later down the line, one whom Abraham had never met, it wasn't until Jesus were the fulfillment of the promise that there would be some from every tribe, tongue, and nation and people more numerous than the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the shore. It wasn't until Jesus that, that promise would be understood and fulfilled. Or Moses in the Exodus. If you remember the final plague of the, the, what came to be celebrated as the Passover, when the people of Israel believed that God would save their firstborn and they painted the, the blood of the lamb over the doorposts and the angel of death passed over them and did not kill the firstborn. Part of that promise was fulfilled there. In Egypt, that the firstborn of those who believed and responded in obedience were not killed. But it wasn't until Jesus, the, the greater and final Passover lamb that would cover the doorposts of all of our lives and our sins so that wouldn't be just temporary, but once for all that we too would not be destroyed. See, Hebrews tells us that all these men and women lived believing that God would ultimately fulfill every promise he had made. They were looking back at God's promises, they were looking at his past faithfulness, and they were looking forward to Jesus even though they didn't know his name yet. They were confident that God would do all that he had promised to do. Now, we said, I said we'd come back to the confidence thing. Where are we getting confidence? It isn't just confidence in faith itself or confidence in self or confidence in humanity or confidence that the universe would balance itself out but confidence in God. See, the object of faith is the key. It wasn't just that these men and women were sure of themselves or, or very extremely confident. It, it's the what or better the who. The object of their faith. And for us and what the writer of Hebrews is saying is the object of your faith, the confidence you have is rooted in Christ and only Christ. See, as we said, the writer of Hebrews builds this case for confidence in Jesus. He's our high priest. He's making this into his, own very, his very own people. He offers forgiveness. He died once for all. And then in Hebrews 10 says, Jesus already perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I don't know if we're supposed to have favorite Bible verses. I'm not sure that's allowed. If anyone knows that, just let me know after the service. But if so, Hebrews 10.14 makes like my top 10 at least, maybe top five. 
Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Look what God has done. In Christ Jesus, he has perfected for all time those whom he is also currently sanctifying, which means those he is working by the Holy Spirit in their minds and hearts, renewal and healing and maturity. Sanctification is that that process by uh, which we're being made holy. In Christ, you have been made holy and in real time are being made holy. That's what Hebrews 10.14 is saying. And this is the reality for every believer in Jesus. And what Hebrews is saying is that you can see that and take hold of that and believe that only by faith, only with your spiritual eyes. So all of that is, I hope, a framework to how Hebrews 11 kind of fits into all of this. But, but preaching is not, not designed to be merely informational, although that was hopefully informational. But let me ask you a few questions. The context of Hebrews being a call to endurance. When it comes to endurance, where are you tired? You might not be under threat of persecution. People might not be banging on your door, yelling at you to renounce your faith in Jesus. But what is currently tempting you to throw away your confidence? The things you believe about who Jesus is. And you feel so weighted down and tired and exhausted that even those things, you kind of, maybe you're starting to lose your, your grip on those. If you were to gauge the level of your faith right now, if it were a, a tank that you could fill up, is it full? Is it at a half? Is it nearly empty? See, it's not good enough to just kind of throw out a generic idea of faith that just kind of wallpapers over our hardships. Our, our goal is to peel back the layers and ask, what, what do I actually believe about the work of Christ already accomplished? Where do you and I tend to forget or to move on from some of the foundational things that we have in Christ Jesus? What does it mean to be forgiven? Like, to truly be forgiven of all of our sins, and if we're forgiven, what does it mean to walk in repentance and fellowship with one another, as First John says? Like, what does that actually look like? What does, it, what does it mean? What does it affect in your day-to-day reality to know that Jesus is praying for you right now? The, the second person of the triune Godhead who reigns over the universe, who by his own mouth, everything that now exists, came into being that he is praying for you. What does it mean that the Father who is holy and perfect and reigns supreme over the entire cosmos, when he looks at you, if you're in Christ Jesus, he sees you as complete, that he loves you perfectly and fully in Christ And he's patient, (laughs) amen, he's patient with us as the Spirit is working in us sanctification and growth and holiness. You see, when prayers are slow to be answered, when hope is fleeting, Hebrews is calling us to endure. 
not to fake it, but to look at the foundation of what we believe is if it's really true. Is Christ all that he claimed to be? If so, has what he promised so far come to pass? And if that's also true, what has he promised that is yet to come to pass? But I can have confidence that he'll be faithful to bring that to the end as well. I'd like to challenge you, even this week, to take some time, to carve out some time, and read through Hebrews 1 through 10. Even if you're a slow reader, I'm a slow reader, um, my, my wife and my oldest daughter just can read circles around me in terms of speed, and even still, it won't take you long to get through Hebrews uh, chapters 1 through 10. I mean, carve out an hour and just sit down and read. And if you don't read anything else, at least read chapter 10. But I encourage you to, to underline or circle or in a journal or something, make note of all the things that are yours in Christ Jesus, if you belong to him, that, that come to the surface in the book of Hebrews. So that we can actually receive and hear in Hebrews 10, 23, when the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold fast our confession because he who promised is faithful. We're not just holding on to it to hold on to it, but because the one who promised them is faithful. So write down those things that are true of you in Christ Jesus or circle them. Maybe it means for you in, in, a com- in your community group this week or one-on-one out for a cup of coffee or for lunch. Find something and find someone with whom you can share honestly. Here's my struggle right now. Here's where I'm weary. And just let someone into that. You don't have to go to like the, the super deepest, darkest parts of your heart. You can go there too if you want. Just make sure to warn the person. But, but just find someone. Here's where I'm weary. Here's my struggle right now. Let them pray for you, but also let them remind you of the things you need to hear. Let them remind you of the promises that are yours in Christ Jesus so that your confidence in Christ might increase. This is the faith that we're looking at cultivating here, not just through this summer series, but as a people. A confidence that God will do all that he's promised. See, you and I might be tempted these next 11, 12 weeks to look at Hebrews 11 as simply a, like an Old Testament Bible story hour. But can I encourage you not to do that? You see, each week this summer is designed to be another example, another marker on the road, a flag, a signpost that is working us all the way through to to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, where the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, in light of all that Christ has done, in in light of all these examples of God's people trusting in God's faithfulness, Therefore, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That he is growing in us a confidence that God will do all that he's promised to do. That is our hope and our anchor as we look at Faith in God's faithfulness through the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. 
and thank you for your patience throughout time and history with your people that when they falter and fail, you don't destroy them out of hand, but you are patient and long-suffering and you work in your people to bring about your purposes. Would you encourage our hearts even today in the places where we are weary, in the places where we are burdened, in the places where we have been tempted and have maybe even let loose a little our confidence and have started to abandon things we know are true or, or just been, have been overwhelmed and have started to forget the basic realities of who you are and who we are in you, would you encourage us and strengthen us and anchor us to you? As we sang earlier, we know our hearts are prone to wander. So chain us like a giant fetter, a big old chain to the truth of Christ. And would this be a a fresh and a new anchor for our hearts? We love you and we thank you for loving us first and better and perfectly. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.